Ladies and gentlemen and hockey fans of all ages, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Hockey Fan Chat. I am your host, Randy Dillon. In our latest episode of the Hockey Fan Chat, we had our way to the Big Apple as I get a chance to talk with a Ranger fan about their past, their present, and the future of the organization. I got to learn a lot about the organization and what had happened and where they're kind of heading in the direction in the next year or so. They have a lot of great young picks and players. My guest, you can check out his podcast, The Broadway Hat Podcast. It's a very good podcast. I have listened to it. A lot of great information in stores with a lot of great players. Please welcome my guest, Kyle Hall. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Hockey Fan Chat. I'm interested to get your opinion on one of the original six teams out there with the New York Rangers. I would like to know, though, how are you a Rangers fan? Are you from the New York area? Family ties to the team or a player you saw growing up attracted you to the team? From New York, uh, born and raised in Long Island. My uh, dad was a big Ranger fan and uh, just grew up since literally birth as a Ranger fan. I think my first game, I was four or five years old, uh, right during the cup run. So, you know, when I first started getting to hockey, it was like, Right in that time frame, you know, like they said, the Rangers won the cup run or won the cup in 94 and then uh, pretty much hooked ever since. I got to ask, because here up in Canada, Toronto is the hockey universe, they say. Is New York kind of the hockey universe in the States or are there bigger markets? First of all, I don't think there is a hockey universe in the States. <laughs> uh, but like, for instance, if you're in New York and the Knicks are good, the Knicks will get front page billing over the Rangers. Even when the Knicks are bad, they usually get front bill the uh, papers over the Rangers. But uh, it's tough because the like, Rangers are good. Like the city is obviously behind them, but I would say they probably play behind the Knicks. And then like the Islanders are far distant. I don't even know they're like behind the Nets probably. Like the Islanders get no love in New York City. <laughs> no, that is fair to say. Now I've always heard that the owner of the Rangers, they own the Knicks as well. They couldn't care less about the Rangers, but the Knicks, it's like the be-all and end-all. And it's like the Rangers are kind of like little brother that step aside. Yeah, yeah. James Dolan, uh, the Dolan family who owned Cablevision, uh, I think they recently just sold it. But he's definitely um, worse because I'm a Knicks fan too. So he's definitely worse than the Knicks. He trusted Glenn Sather with the Rangers and kind of just stepped away which was great for Ranger fans. And um, he basically plays the Knicks as if like it's his fantasy basketball team. Like he's a little overbearing with them. He keeps on making terrible hires and people go in and out of the Knicks franchise and the Rangers. You've seen way more stability and obviously success probably because of that stability that they've had over the last, you know, 15 years or so because of the job Glenn Sather did, even though they didn't win a cup, Sather came in after, you know, Neil Smith was the GM of the Rangers when they won the cup in 94. And he kind of chased that throughout the rest of his tenure, signing a lot of, you know, over the hill veterans to huge contracts and making deals and trading away prospects to try to get former stars that are kind of like just were past their prime. So when he came in, kind of started to turn around. And really the thing that turned around for the Rangers just in general was the 2005 lockout. They were able to get away from a couple of the big contracts and uh, they brought in Yager Yager, who really turned the franchise around and brought just like, a, I don't know, it was just like they had a good combination of youth. They had some veterans, but like Yager just was like the glue to that team. He had a monster year like right after the lockout and it kind of just like revitalized the New York franchise. And I had Jason Ward on my show uh, who was on that team. And he kind of talked about like, yeah, like there's a whole different culture uh, at a lockout because of Yager. 
Oh, I could see that. Yarmar Yager. He's one of those players who, when he's in the dressing room, you respect, you listen, and when he's talking, you don't say a word. And I think we saw that when he returned to the NHL and what he did with Florida and how he kind of helped that franchise. He had that presence. I think as well, you look at it, at that time, Henrik Lundqvist just came in the league as well and just what a star. Yeah, that was his rookie was. year at the lockout. So, And he had a guy who I think... Um, has been blowing up more and more in the media is Kevin Weeks. So Kevin Weeks was the veteran that was there when Lundqvist got there, who kind of took him under his wing. And uh, he was great for Henrik in his, you know, his first year there, just trying to bring him along. And the rest is history, I guess. Exactly. And I think as well, Shanahan just came par- became part of the team as well as he was wrapping up his career. Is that correct? Or uh, Shanahan, I think, was right before that. He was right in that time frame because Theo Fleury came right before that. I had Darius Kasparitis on my show. He was there. He actually was there through the lockout because he tells a funny story. I don't know if you know this, but after each game, the Rangers go to center ice and they raise their sticks like a European tradition after wins, um, kind of saluting the fans. And in that season, Marek Malik pulled off uh, an unbelievable through the legs shootout goal, which is like a huge highlight that still gets played over and over again. He's like a, he was like a six foot four hulking defenseman who had, you know, very little offensive skill to what everyone thought. And, uh, I've asked a couple of guys on the team about that. And they're like, yeah, we never even saw that in practice. Like we have no idea where he pulled out of. So he scored the 15th round of a shootout against the Capitals. And after the game, Kasparitis turned to Yager and being two European players, you know, uh, Kasparitis was a star, you know, for Russia before um, coming over to the U S and he's been actually Kasparitis holds the most career Olympic games in Russian history. That's a crazy stat for him, but he kind of looked at Yogs and was like, let's do the salute. So since that game, they've done it after every home win. Henrik coming over from Sweden, another European player, like he embraced it and he kept it going. So it's still a tradition to this day. Well, that is good. And it's just a strange how the lockout, some teams are killed. They had trouble recovering. Other teams like the Rangers, they blossomed from that. Now, looking at the team right now, how close are they from being a good team? Because it wasn't not too long ago, about six, seven years, they're competing for the Cup. Are they anywhere close to that, a couple of pieces off, or do they need a little bit more time? You know, they're so young right now. I think they're actually, the Devils might have passed them because they made some trades at the deadline, but they were the youngest team in the NHL for, I would say, the entire season until the trade deadline. You look at their roster now, and there's not too many holes. I think when you look at the third defense pairing, we have so many young kids that are in the prospect pool coming along that they'll just slide in perfectly there. Like Zach Jones just won a national championship at UMass. He just signed his um, entry-level deal last week, and they already said that he'll hopefully be playing at the end of the year. So he's a guy who's a very highly rated prospect. Niels Lundqvist, who lighting the world up over in Sweden, is considered you know the top defensive prospect in hockey. So he'll be coming over after the World Juniors uh, this year in June. So just those two guys alone, I think, are going to be huge upgrades next year for the defense. But when you look at the Rangers offensively, I mean, the top nine is pretty set. You know, they have obviously Lafreniere was the first round pick last year. Kaka, number two pick the year before that. And then you have, you know, Mika Zibanejad, who's, you know, really struggled earlier this year. He was re- recovering from COVID and uh, unfortunately took about a month or so to get his legs back under him. And he lost, I think, it was like 15 pounds because of COVID and didn't have a training camp. So it took him a while to get in the season, but we've seen him come alive recently. And when he's on, he's at, at you know, top 10 center in the NHL. But when you look at the rest of the team, I think they're maybe a piece away. 
I think once they add the young defense, and I think they're getting right, probably after next year, they'll be right in that championship window. Or at least, you know, kind of similar, I think, to what the, the Rangers were in the, the the late, you know, 2010 to 2016 range, where they like, every year they're in the playoffs, every year they're, you know, winning a round or two. I think that's the, where they're headed. You know, I want to say because of all the young players on entry level deals, you know, now it kind of look like where Chicago was when they won their cups. They had a lot of guys that were entry level deals or like bridge deals that were low salaries. So, able to have like you know a solid four line depth they were able to have you know a solid top six defense there was no real holes in those teams so i think for the rangers these next couple years are really important because this is when they're going to have that salary flexibility when we look at goalie igor shesterkin is i think he's six in the league now in save percentage he's got like a 2.35 goals allowed so like he's having a really good year even though he's only 11 and 9 as a record which doesn't sound great he's been really consistent for them in net and that was a problem for the rangers last year was their defense they've really turned around this year and adam fox has you know really put himself in the norris conversation this year not only with his offensive game but with his defensive game and i think just between those two guys in the back end and then just the firepower up front like I thought they would maybe sneak into the playoffs this year. I know because of a different format. I think they they got in the probably the hardest division of uh, the NHL this year. But I think next year they're going to be able to contend for a playoff spot. No, 100% right. I think Jeff Gordon deserves a lot of credit for the Rangers. He really, after the 27 playoffs where they lost the second round to Ottawa, he kind of got to work right away where the next year shipped up McDonough Miller after Zuccarella. But he quietly got a bunch of prospects, drafted well, and developed a lot of these players where you look at they've had lottery luck with Cackle and Lafreniere. They haven't really been impacted. They've been a bunch of other guys, and it does help when you sign a guy like Panarin as well. Yeah. Sent a letter out in 2018 to fans and to season ticket holders like, hey, we're going through a rebuild, gear up. And, you know, for a Ranger fan, we never did a rebuild. And I think that was the problem because during the you know late 90s and early 2000s, there was no real salary cap back then. So you could sign whoever you wanted. So we were just signing crazy, you know, veterans, Bobby Holik or, you know, Matthew Barnaby, like these guys who are like good players in their prime, but they're way past their prime. We're giving them tons of money, even though I'm, I'm a fan of his and he was on my show, you know, Theo Fleury, you know, got a huge deal. And, you know, probably, you know, looking back on it, maybe they should have rebuilt then. And so when the rebuild happened, you're like, all right, well, I don't like it, but I guess, you know, what are you going to do? We'll see what happens. So the shortest rebuild I ever see for a team, because usually I look at you go down from New York, the Islanders, it took them to rebuild the Devils. They've been doing this since I think 2014. Yeah. And they're still not even close. But you look at the Rangers, how it all came together. It was in and out. Yeah. You know, you got to love that. And you look back at that last roster that they had. I think they have like five guys left if that from that team, which is crazy. That's in the NHL. Like you don't see that kind of turnover that fast. Like you said, the guys he picked up, like, you know, trading a Derek Broussard, who was a fan favorite for Mika Zibanejad, who was, I think he was 23, 24 at the time. And you're kind of like in New York, you're not following Ottawa. You're like, who was Mika Zibanejad? Like, I, you know, no idea who this guy was, but I know Derek Broussard scored some big time playoff goals. The Rangers was a definite fan favorite. And, you know, you're like, oh, wow. And we got a second round pick out of it. So, it must be like this guy's not, he's not as good as Mika then. 
And you look back now, you're like, thank God we made that trade. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, Broussard had that good one year after he went to Ottawa, but after that, it was just like, he couldn't get it together. But you look at the manager, it took him a year or so to get it, but he's just been lights out for the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. So he's like a dealer you look at, like, oh, wow, you know, that was good. Yeah, like you said, the drafting, like they draft extremely well. You know, obviously we got some luck with Lafreniere and Kako, but, you know, they drafted Philip Heedle. You know, unfortunately, Elias Anderson didn't work out, but uh, he was another high draft pick for them. Um, you know, the trades like the Rick Nash trade that keeps on paying off. That was Ryan Lindgren. That was the pick for Keandre Miller. I think there's like another guy in that trade too that is still paying off. So the deals they made that year are still have a huge impact on this team. This is all speculation with the Sabres being not so far from Buffalo with all the Jack Eichel rumors. <laughs> Can the Rangers pull off the Eichel trade? Because I think they have the two pieces in Lafreniere and Cackle where teams don't. And Jack Eichel, I think, is a great player. He just unfortunately had been in such a bad situation. Do you think it's possible they do it this offseason if Eichel does say he wants to come to New York? Or I think it has to be done this offseason because he's got a no trade clause or something kicks in the following year. Whatever it is, it's easier from the move this year, which is why all the trade rumors were circulating during the season. If they were going to do a deal with a team, I think the Rangers make the most sense just because of the prospect depth they have. Now, being a Ranger fan and knowing that you're going to get a guy who's got a $10 million contract for the next seven years and also knowing that NHL salary cap is going to stay flat for the next three years because of COVID, am I a fan of bringing him on? No. Now, if he does come to the team, I mean, obviously it's going to be a huge impact and a high-quality player for the bring-in. But when you look at the salary ramifications, I mean, you're going to have to re-sign a Lafreniere, a Kako, uh, an Adam Fox, a Ryan Lindgren, Keandre Miller. You've got to sign all these guys in the next couple of years. And would I rather have five players or would I rather have one? So, I mean, obviously, probably a couple of those guys will be in the deal. I think that the most likely candidate to be traded for him is Vitaly Kratsov who just started his NHL career for the Rangers the last uh, week or so. So I think he's a candidate to get moved. And I think probably the biggest candidate to move the Rangers defensive depth is because they have so many prospects on defense that they just don't have enough roster spots for them. So, you know, like a Braden Schneider, you know, these guys who are in the WHL, who are really great prospects, like first-round picks. You know, Matthew Robertson was a second-round pick. Uh, he's a big-time prospect. But I don't know where they're going to play all these defensemen. I definitely see those guys getting moved in some type of a big time trade. And the Rangers also have a big decision what to do with Ryan Strom, who would probably go back to Buffalo in a deal just because of you know salary impact and also just because he's just a very good player. But you know, the Rangers only have him signed for next year and they have to make a decision on if he's going to be part of the future or not. And obviously that'll hinge on a Jack Eichel acquisition. If they bring Eichel in, obviously Strom's not here. But if they don't get Eichel, they have to make a decision if they could go somewhere else or if Ryan Strom's going to be the future, that second center who he's been playing great with Panarin. He's almost a point per game player this year. He had a great year last year. So it's just they were looking to trade him last year in the offseason. They weren't sure what they were going to do with him. They ended up signing him to a, a small contract bridge. To me, that shows me that they weren't sold on him last year. So maybe their ideas have changed on him. But I just feel like if you don't believe in the guy, one summer, like you still might be looking to move him, but I like Ryan Strom. I just, I was a proponent of maybe getting rid of him at the trade deadline if the Rangers fell out of it, but obviously they're still very much in the playoff race, so there was no reason to make a move. But I just wanted to hear, I guess, I just wish I had like the inside flying the wall of the Rangers front office of what they think of him 
Because we saw what Chris Kreider last year. Chris Kreider was a pending free agent at the end of the year, and his name was probably the hottest name in the NHL trade deadline. And they ended up just re-signing him at the trade deadline, the deadline date, which was great. Um, so that kind of just like, okay, he's here to stay for the next you know, five, six years. That's great. They made a decision on him. Kreider was a little bit interesting in my end because he's been there for a while. He's a big part of that team. When he's on, he's a dominant power forward. I really thought he was his way out, but I think they were so close to playoffs at that point. It's like, what do you do? Yeah. And then I guess they want to keep him. Now, I guess the other thing as well, is you look at Eichel and the salary cap, that brings my attention to a guy like Jacob Truba, where they trade him, give him a big contract. And unfortunately, I think he's been disappointing to that end. And I don't know if you want to go through that with Eichel, where is Eichel truly that good of a player? Or are you going to have another player who's making so much money that they're disappointed? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, obviously $10 million is a lot to give to a player. Like you said, there is a lot of people who aren't big Truba fans just because of his contract. And I personally don't, you know, he makes $8 million a year. You know, it's a lot for a player. And when you look at the Rangers defense, you know, he's playing on the second line, which if you're paying that much for a player, you would assume he's going to be a top two defenseman. So I understand that. But he also has had a pretty good year. Actually, this morning I was reading, reading up some game notes from last night. And the, an interesting fact I saw was that he's the only NHL player this year to record 100 hits, 75 plus block shots and 15 takeaways. I mean, what else do you need from a defenseman other than hits, block shots, That's and takeaways? True. So if he's not chipping in offensively, th- oh, and he also, he's logged at least 22 minutes of ice time in 12 less 18 games, which is the third most of any defenseman. And I think with him, you look at him with the time in Winnipeg, he was a yeah. point player, player guy, you're not seeing that. But I guess Adam Fox is doing that already, so why do you need Yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, listen, I love for him to chip in a little more offensively, but <laughs> but yeah, he plays a very strong you know, defensive game. And frankly, the way that the Rangers are built, he, he doesn't need to score. Like you said, like he, you have Fox, um, you know, Keandre Miller has been really, really good as his rookie year. Um, you know, he's shipped in offensively. And when you see Truba, you know, Truba needs to be out there for, you know, penalty kills. Like he, need, he's kind of like taken over like more of that, like shutdown defenseman role that back in the day we had Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi, who were not the greatest offensive players, but can shut down any top line in the NHL. And Truba's kind of taken over that. Like he's going to be the defensive stalwart back there. Like he's the heavy hitter. He's kind of like their big defenseman back there. So. I'm not ready to run him out of town yet. There's a lot of Ranger fans who, unfortunately, because of the success that Fox has had, want to get rid of him. And it really comes down to, like, can he play top line? Like, yeah, of course he could play on the top line. But Ryan Lindgren and Adam Fox have an unbelievable chemistry going back to their U.S. development days. Like, they've been playing on the same pairing since they were 17 or 16 years old. So, you know, it just kind of makes sense to keep those two guys together because they play so well together. I think that's the true point. Then Seattle's out there with so many picks and prospects the Rangers have. Maybe they can give him up in the expansion draft upcoming. Do you think David Quinn is the guy to take the Rangers to the next level? Because I know early in the season there was talk he was on the hot seat. It seems like it's cooled off now. But do you think he's going to come back? Do they need to bring a veteran coach in, like a guy like Jared Gallant or Boost Boudreaux waiting out who's on the free agent? Or the more wait and see? You know... That is the uh, million-dollar question right now and uh, for all Ranger fans because to start the year off, I do think that people are ready to ship Quinn out of town. And fortunately, he got COVID, and um, Chris Knobloch, who is the AHL coach, 
came up for it was like four or uh, five or six games and uh the rangers got hot during that time period and scored they beat what was the uh st patty's Day massacre it was nine nothing against uh philly was his first game and then they won i think like eight three against philly the next you know a couple games later and they had a couple so like there's a lot of people saying well we don't need quinn like you know the hl guy is better but you know i actually brought up previously on my show about Chris Nalbach before that happened. And I said, you know, keep an eye on him just in general, because he's been a winner everywhere he goes. And if the Rangers were to make a move in the offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if they just went to him. He was hand selected by Chris Drury, uh, who's now, you know, he's the assistant GM. I think he's like the associate. Pre- he gets promoted like weekly, that guy. Like they love Drury. Like <laughs> t- every time a uh, GM job comes up, like his name immediately gets thrown into the ring and the Rangers just give him a promotion. They're like, don't leave, please. Pretty soon. I don't know what they're going to like. He's going to be like Gorton's boss pretty soon. Like, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but he was handpicked because uh, Drury took over Hartford and uh, like the Wolfpack were really bad. Less, two years ago, they were really bad. And they wanted to return, like uh, restructure down there and, and turn it around. And Drury was, uh, you know, right in the middle of it. And he took it over and he brought Knobloch in. And I just think because he was his selection that that carries a lot of weight in the organization right now. I think Quinn, in theory, is the best coach for the team because he is a very successful college coach. And with all the young players on the team, he should be really helping their development. Now, having said that, I've seen a lot of players come and go on the Rangers the last couple of years that have not developed. You know, I don't know why it is, if it's him or whatever it is. So if down the stretch here, if the Rangers somehow get into the playoffs, I don't think you can make a move at all. But if they somehow fall apart and, you know, it's a really rough ending. Yeah, maybe I see them making a move. I don't think they make a move, though. I think they stick with him for one more year, if anything. But I am also a big fan of Gerald Gallant. I think that he got a raw deal in Vegas. I think he's a winning coach. And I think, yeah, maybe next year, give these kids another year to develop. And he can have, you know, these guys in their second and third, fourth years as more of a, you know, they have a little more NHL experience in their belt. And he comes in as a veteran coach and kind of takes over. I can see that happening. I don't know, because when you look at where Quinn was, it, you know, his, he was such a good college coach, and you see all these players that you put in the NHL, so obviously they develop under him, and uh, you just hope that that somehow kicks in the NHL level, but it's just, you wish that Kako took a bigger step this year. He's played really good defensively. I don't think he's taking the next step. Obviously, Adam Fox is taking the next step, but you know, how much is that his coaching, and how much is that just Adam's development as a player? You know, you look at Lafreniere, like, yeah, he's had an up and down rookie season. You know, he's starting to heat up now. But also, I don't know, you look at the veterans in this team, like you said, Chris Kreider before, I just feel like sometimes he doesn't put the guys in the best spots to be successful, too. Like Kreider played the first, has been playing first line, and he's been struggling recently. And he finally got demoted down to the fourth line, and Kratzoff moved to the first line, the Rangers, and it was clicked for the Rangers against the Islanders. And the next game, Kreider is back on the first line. So it's like, okay, so it worked the game before. Why are you going back to this guy just because he's a you know a nine-year veteran? You want to put a rookie on the first line? So I don't know. I wish he played the kids more just because from an energy standpoint, they have a kid line now, and I, I love it when they get on the ice, but I just wish he really pushed the kids more for playing time. I, I think he relies too heavily on his veterans sometimes. I think that's a fair point to make. I think any coach, they'll go to their veteran. But I think we're at the stage where the Rangers are as well. They're still not that close yet. So why are you not playing the kids? It just makes sense for you to go out there, play the kids, and see what you got, rather than relying on the veterans. Because you know Panarin's still there. He's going to put up the point. 
why not give some other guys a chance? Because I look at, you mentioned Ryan Strom a couple of years ago off coming from Edmonton. Everyone thought he was done and somehow in New York it just mm-hmm. saved his career. So it's just like, why not try to give other players who you think are going to get the opportunity rather than the veterans? But we'll see. I think, my personal opinion, I think they'll keep him this year. And then depending how everything works out next year, he might go mid-season or if same goes south again. But I guess with COVID and owners aren't making any money, it's like... Yeah, and I think do? next year the expectations will be a lot higher than this year too. So I think the hot seat will be cooking from training camp. Exactly. I want to quickly touch on Tony D'Angelo, not the person, the player. Last year had a great year with the Rangers. Did he pretty much screw himself up with all his off-vice drama? in all the comments he make. Because from what I see, he was a very talented offensive player. But what happened in the locker room and his comments on Twitter, it just seemed like he ruined his own career and he could have had a great future. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think... You look at his stats and you, you watch Tony in general. I mean, he's an unbelievable player. I mean, there's no doubting that. He's an incredible offensive player. I think he had like 53 points last year. He was... 12th in the worst, you know, voting for an offensive player. It's, you know, a great season and a great athlete to have. But... You know, you look at he's on, I think we're his fourth franchise now in, you know, a short stint of a career. He was in his fourth year with the Rangers. Now I've talked to a couple of teammates of his and they all say like, he's an unbelievable guy, but he'll tell you to your face, like what he thinks. But yeah, I mean, I think he just wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, I think it was just an unfortunate incident that happened. But, you know, I guess there was some stuff that happened before that, obviously training camp. He had some, you know, the, the Trump tweets were going and, it, it was right after the election. I know during the election, he was raising some issues on Instagram and on his podcast and stuff. So uh, I think the Rangers has kind of had enough of it. And with the young team they have now, I didn't think, I just don't think they wanted that in the locker room. And uh, it's funny because I also, a lot of those same guys I've talked to about the issue played with, you know, Gorgiev as well. And they're like, yeah, he's like the like the nicest, quietest guy. And I had Rob O'Gara on my show, and Rob was roommates with Tony on the road. And he's telling me a story, and it's on the show too. He's saying a story that you know they were down in Florida, and he had a bad game. And Boomer Siason, who's a huge New York radio uh, sports host, was on Twitter. And he's a big time Ranger fan. He's like, D'Angelo stinks, whatever he said. And D'Angelo like goes back at him, like post game, like in the lock, like they just got back from the lock, like from the game and they're in the hotel. And he's now in a Twitter fight <laughs> with Boomer Esiason. So he's like, and like he looked over, he's like, who are you, like, what are you doing? And he is like, ah, oh, man, like Boomer Esiason's on my case right now. So like Rob goes on Twitter and like sees like, oh my God, like there's like a legit like argument going on. (laughs) And like Tony's like laughing about it, but like, you know, like spewing like things back at him. And he's like, what's wrong? You know, he's like, you're crazy, man. So like I think that's just like the part of Tony. Like, I think he just wants to win. And I think that got the better of him, unfortunately, this year, just because I think they kind of boiled over a little bit. And there's a lot of frustration, I think, out of him and the team just in general. And and he didn't have a really good playoffs last year at the end of the year. And he got some heat from some media members. And I think they kind of carried over into, you know, they had the three games in the playoffs last year. It was like minus six. I really didn't play well. And uh, I think that kind of continued over into the offseason somewhat as well. And uh, what I don't get is I saw a report that came out that, you know, his team wanted him to go ask the Rangers to loan him to an AHL franchise. 
And I think this is like a couple weeks after he got, he goes put on waivers and no one picked him up and he was just kind of hanging out. And he's like, you know, I want to go to the AHL just to, you know, for conditioning reasons, blah, blah. And the Rangers like, well, when I send you to Hartford, like we don't want you to associate with the team. And he's like, yes, yeah, send me anywhere, anywhere. Like just put me on loan. And I thought the Rangers should have done that. Cause I thought it could have maybe helped his image to trade him. Like, you know, up to the deadline, there was teams that were interested. I know Montreal was like really interested in him at the deadline. And the Rangers decided to hold on to him just because uh, it would be more financially beneficial for them to just release him in the off season, I guess. But they asked him to terminate his contract, mutually terminate the contract. But uh, he would have been giving up, I think, $3.8 million to do that, which he just, you know, smartly was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to give that up. By the way, I think when he does get released in the offseason, it sounds like Montreal is going to be a team that's going to make a run at him. But I, I just, I feel bad for the, I mean, the whole situation stinks. And it's yeah. just like, I think, and you just like, I trust, like, because I'm not in the locker room, obviously. I'm just, you know, a fan from a distance that, you know, takes interest in the team and has been lucky enough to talk about them on some, you know, platforms. But, just the guys you talk to, they're like, oh, yeah, he's just a great guy that just, you know, he wears his heart in his sleeve and um, he's just really intense and is not afraid to tell you what he thinks. And I think that will rub people the wrong way that don't understand that. No, I think like anyone, I speak for myself and maybe some other people as well. Like we also think we regret. And I think as a player is in the New York, in the market he's in as well. It just, I think, got so much more exploded than what it should have been where if maybe he was on a team, let's say maybe like Arizona, how much big would we be hearing about this? Where New York, yeah, there was a lot stuff. of fake stuff that was thrown yeah. out there. Like he was like holding Keandre Miller's first goal puck and like all this crazy stuff that yeah. you know obviously came out and they refuted. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like you know it was nonsense afterwards. So yeah, I mean that's all part of the New York media that people get drum stuff up and yeah. you know there was a rumor that he had a burner Twitter account and um. Yeah, I heard about that, like a burner yeah. Instagram or something. The crazy thing, I think for him, I, I, he reminds me a little bit of Druan in 2015-16 where Tampa didn't know what to do with him. And they put him they put him in the AHL. He said he didn't report, come back, completely different player. I think that this can be the same for D'Angelo. When, when he come back, for, he's going to have to make changes in the way I think he presents himself. But if he can, he could. It could really save his. Yeah, and I think uh, unfortunately that you know for the Rangers, I think well, first off, he's like twenty five years old, so I mean he has a lot of great hockey left in him, and I think unfortunately they're going to lose a great player for nothing, and another franchise is going to pick him up probably on the cheap, and you know I think he's going to be an asset to someone, and I just hope it doesn't come back to bite the Rangers later on. You know, hopefully he goes to the West Coast, but yeah. I think Tony will definitely get a second shot or third shot, whatever he's on now. So, you know, his talent is just, uh, you know, he's one of the best offensive defensemen in the league when he's going. So when you can put up 53 points from a D-man, you know, you're going to get a second shot. Do you know much from 94? Like for that when they won? Yeah, sure. Before that? Or my question would be, you go back you talk about the Ranger when they won the cup in 94. I wasn't born there, but I've heard and read. It was dark time in New York, 56 years out of cup. They kind of really sign. They pretty much, pretty much bring a bunch of the Oilers who won their cups there, and they finally got over the hurdle. How did that kind of all work out? Because I could imagine the stress and wondering if they're ever going to win the cup again and kind of boil down to them, that game seven, 94 to win the cup against Vancouver. How that yeah, well, I think the uh, the turning point for that for the Rangers then, well, first off, the Rangers were a very good team in the 80s. I guess late 70s, you know, 79, they made the cup run. 
And they had a very good team. Unfortunately, there was a team also in New York called the New York Islanders who were in the middle of a dynasty run. So the Rangers kind of got overshadowed during that time period, but they always had a very solid team. And a lot of times they lost to the Islanders in that postseason. Towards the end of the 80s, they weren't that great. You know, they were kind of struggling. Uh, Phil Esposito took over as the GM and they just really weren't doing well. And then Roger Nielsen came in, I think it was the 1990 season, um, and took them back to the playoffs and kind of turned around the franchise. And then Neil Smith came in as the GM uh, in 1991. He brought in Mark Messier, uh, which was a trade. I think it was the right before opening night. And uh, I actually have coming up my show. I have a really great interview with the guy who he was traded for. And it's a really cool story. So that's kind of the turning point where when Messier came in, I think that kind of just solidified that the Rangers were for real. Um, they also had two excellent goalies in John Van Beesbrook and Mike Richter at the time. And again, you kind of look back at Rangers history and the Rangers had a decision to make either Van Beesbrook or Richter right before that 93-94 season. And they picked Richter just because he was you know, younger, a little bit younger and a better contract. But who knows what would have happened if they would have picked Van Beesbrook instead. You know, Van Beesbrook won a Vesna with the Rangers. People forget you know, how good he was for in New York. So, But they made some really good deals uh, you know, leading up to that season. You talk about... They had a lot of Edmonton Oilers on that team, but you know they had a lot of Oilers on the team before just that year in general. You know they brought Jeff Bukaboom in before that. You know they brought in Adam Graves, who was a fourth line player in Edmonton, and he came over and he became a star in New York. Of course, fifty-two goals in their ninety-four Cup season. They had a guy they drafted named Brian Leach, who turned into probably the top defenseman of that era. And another interesting thing that the Rangers did that time period is they were really the first team. I don't know the first team, but they were very interested in Russian players. So they had Alex Kovalov, who they drafted, and Kovalov was unbelievable during the cup run. Um, they had Sergei Nemchinov, who was a very good center uh, for them. They had uh, Sergei Zubov, who they drafted, who had 89 points in that 93-94 cup season. Who He is a guy who I still think that Ranger fans are mad about that they traded him away. Uh, you know, He became a Hall of Famer after he left, even though he was unbelievable for the Rangers in general. They had another young kid, Alexander Karpatsov, who was a defenseman on that team. And unfortunately, he is the only member of the 94 team who's passed since he actually died in a plane crash while he was an assistant coach in the KHL. That year, the Rangers decided, Mike, you know, they brought Mike Keenan in. Um, Roger Nielsen was the coach for the longest time, and they brought Mike Keenan in and kind of just turned around. Yeah, How so, did that Ke- so Smith, Neil Smith brought Keenan in, and Keenan sent, was a no-nonsense, you know, Iron Mike. Heard some great stories about him and just, you know, his craziness. But he knew what that team needed to to go. And there's a great story they tell us that on the opening day of training camp, he showed them the 1986 New York Mets victory, victory parade in New York City. And he said, boys, this is the goal. This is what we're going for. This season ends in the Canyon of Heroes or it's a bust. Ended up in a parade. But, you know, they traded some, you know, Mike Gartner got traded that year. He had 52 points, I think, like 50 games to the Rangers. And for whatever reason, Keenan just didn't like him. And so they moved Mike Gartner. You know, they bring in, you know, like a Steve Larmer they brought in, who was a, a guy who was a, a big player for the Blackhawks forever for Keenan. You know, they brought in, they just brought in like winners. They brought in um, Glenn Anderson, who won five Stanley, or was it four Stanley Cups? Five Stanley Cups. He won six in total. I think he had five coming to the Rangers. Um, You know, just a a proven winner. They traded away a young guy named Tony Almonte, who went on to have an unbelievable career. 
but they knew they knew they had to move some of these pieces. You know, they moved him for Stefan Mateau, who was a third line forward. And you're like, wow, Amante for Mateau. Like, that doesn't sound like a great deal. And then, you know, Mateau scores arguably the most important goal in Rangers history in double overtime against the Devils in game seven. You know, they bring in veterans like Esatikin, who was, you know, an unbelievable player for Edmonton, like you were saying, just a tough nosed player. Jay Wells, who was a veteran forever in the NHL. You know, Brian Noonan, another guy who came over with Mateau from uh, in that deal from Chicago. Keenan just loved to have guys that he knew he can depend on and he trusted them. Like I had Craig Gilbert who won the uh, Dynasty Islanders. He was with the Blackhawks and uh, I interviewed him and he just said like, you know, Mike knew what he wanted and he got it. And fortunately for the Rangers, it probably cost them the rest of the 90s because they were trying to rebuild ever since then. That's what spurred all those crazy free agent signings and everything else. But they got a cup out of it. I get that the yeah, important yeah. thing. You get the cup and you're happy. You're, you know, you're Mike happy Mike won the cup. Maybe. He kind of blew up the whole franchise to get it. And then he left town right afterwards. So he wasn't sticking around to see the aftermath uh, of what he did. I want to ask about one thing because I live in Vancouver and Mark Messier coming to Vancouver. It was just a nightmare from a media standpoint. It was so much anger. Hey, he was just happy when he left. How was it on the New York standpoint when he left and he went to Vancouver? And then he came um. Back? Yeah, it was tough when he left. People didn't expect him to leave. You know, he was in a contract battle with the Rangers, and I think everyone thought the Rangers were going to give in. He came off, I mean, two unbelievable seasons. He had 99 points in the 95-96 season, like 47 goals, I think he scored. And 96-97, he had another big year. And so he was looking to get paid, and the Rangers, for whatever reason, they just held out. And he ended up going to Vancouver for that three-year stint, and then he came back to New York. Obviously, you know, not the same player he was, but um, yeah, he had a couple tough seasons up there in Vancouver. I think you guys were mad about him becoming the captain, I think, too, right? That what I heard and what I read, that he with the captain, Lyndon, yeah. and Mike Keenan comes in. From what I read, it was a Yeah, yeah, so situation. Keenan comes in. And obviously that you would think that was all kind of planned, you know, Keenan coming in and mess being there. But, uh, you know, yeah, some Vancouver fans are they're not very happy about his stint. And Ranger fans aren't happy about it either because I, mean, no. I remember watching his first game back and I, I hated the Canucks logo at that time. And plus, I didn't like the Canucks in general because we just played them in the Stanley Cup. So so I, I never liked them. And as a kid, I used to watch the 94 Stanley Cup, or I guess at the time was a VHS. And uh, when they would go, you know, they pan to the quote unquote Vancouver side for game three, they were like hanging uh, Ranger, like the stuffed Rangers jerseys, like people like in the streets and stuff. And like, you know, like slamming cars or Ranger logos. So I was like, oh, I hate the Canucks. I hate the Canucks. The media... It is crazy <laughs> out here. I can tell you that much. We could, we could be going on a tyrant there, but that's a conversation for another day. A couple of quick questions before I let you go. Does Henrik Lundqvist come back and retire the Ranger? Because I think it's just fitting for what he done for the Ranger organization, how he turned around. Unfortunately, couldn't yeah. get a cup, but... Yeah, I mean, I would love that to happen. I loved Hank. You know, he's a Ranger legend, like you said. I mean, his number will be in the rafters as soon as he retires. Um, I I did see that he announced that he had a setback with his comeback, so he's not going to play this year. His contract will expire with Washington at the end of the year, so um, he will be a free agent. I just don't know what the Rangers are going to do from a goaltending standpoint. You know, obviously, Igor Shosturkin has solidified himself as a starter. They have Alexander Gorgiev, who's a young goalie who's been in the organization for a few years now. But, you know, he's had his ups and downs. So I don't know what they decided to do with him. 
Um, they also have Keith Kincaid, who has actually played well this year for them as a third goalie. Uh, he'll most likely be the player they expose in the expansion draft. I can see Seattle taking him you know, over a position player they post. They'll have a couple of good options that, unfortunately, they can't hold on to. But, yeah, I would love to see Hank come back and retire as a Ranger. I, I hated seeing him go. Unfortunately, just it made too much sense for the Rangers you know, not to keep him. Uh, unfortunately, because of his contract and mm-hmm. the young players that were kind of pushing him out. And I was happy to see him go to a contender. I mean, not happy to see him go to Washington because I'm not, a, I hate the Washington. You know, I was happy to see him at least, you know, go to a contender and, and, you know, maybe get a chance to win a cup. And I think, you know, I'm a Yankee fan as well. And Don Mattingly, who was a Yankee legend in the 80s and early 90s, you know, he played on some bad Yankee teams, but he was just a superstar of those times. I'm not saying Hank played on bad Ranger teams, but they just never got to the, you know, I think he's like, you know, the one like error, like Yankee who never made it to a World Series. So like when he retired in 95, the the Yankees win the the World Championship uh, in 96. And you're kind of like, oh man, you know, you feel bad. Like he missed it by a year. So I think that if the Rangers win a cup like next year or the year after, which I don't think is going to happen, but it kind of feel bad like, oh, hey, man, Hank just missed it. No, exactly. No, I'm glad the conversation going ending soon because I'm a capital fan. <laughs> you know, I know, yeah, I noticed that. I, I looked it up. I made sure I threw some jars. Some... No, no. Uh, it's all good. As much as I, I respect the team, the Rangers are a good organization. The battle they went through in the playoffs were unbelievable. So I yeah, no, I mean the Caps. The Rangers, I, so. I don't like them because you guys are good. It's not you know anything else. You know, this has been so many battles throughout the years with the Capitals. You know, I love Ovechkin. Um, I think he's an unbelievable player, and you gotta respect the guy. I mean, he's in, he's literally incredible. I mean, every year uh, he gets older, and, and his he's still just such an elite talent. And you cringe every time you see him on the power play set up in his little office over there. You go, oh man, here he comes. They never change. Never change. It never changes. It never changes. The then, we talked about uh, Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi before, and uh, I think Dan Girardi probably has taken more pucks off the shin from that guy than anyone else in the world. And you know, the, those two were crazy, just throwing their. I I couldn't even imagine the mental state you have to be in to take one of those shots, like the chest or to the like, his shot no. uh, so hard. I can't even imagine like seeing one of those things whiz by my face. No, exactly. It is nuts. Who are the Rangers' biggest rival? Is it the Devils or the Islanders? Because of the location, I would put Buffalo. Yeah, it's not Buffalo. Buffalo it's not Buffalo. For so many years, so you can, <laughs> you can. And then I guess you could maybe say the Penguins are the Capitals. I I feel like for a rival because of the proximity between the Islanders and the Devils. Um, Which one would you say? Would I would be? say the biggest rival just in general in franchise history would have to be the Islanders. Now, growing up, now a question I get asked a lot, being from Long Island, the Islanders play on Long Island. Why aren't you an Islanders fan? Or, did you know, did you, oh, did you grow up hating the Islanders or whatever? And I always say, like, I, I never hated the Islanders because the Islanders weren't good in, like, the 90s. Like, you know, when the Rangers were good, like, the Islanders weren't good. The Devils were good. Like, I hated the Devils. Like, I hated Marty Brodeur. I hated, you know, Ken Danico and, and Scott Stevens. Like, those are the guys who I did not like. The Islanders were like the $10 cheap ticket that you go to a game like with your friend because his dad was like, you know, an Islander fan. You go watch like Ziggy Palfi and Rich Pilon and like kind of just sit there and be like, man, these guys stink. 
but yeah, I would say just in general, <laughs> the Islanders um, are definitely probably a bigger rival than the Devils, but it's close. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of New Jersey Ranger fans that you know to them it's probably the Devils, but growing up on Long Island and and just because of the battles they had in the 80s and I guess even recently now the Islanders are coming back now. The Rangers have had some good series against some good you know battles against them now, but in the 90s it was definitely the Devils just because every year. It was the Rangers versus Brodor. And then even later on, Brodor stuck around for freaking ever. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, Sean yeah. Avery and Brodor going at it. So Brodor spans a lot of oh, people. Gosh. You know, he goes from uh, fighting with uh, Adam Graves in front of the net to fighting with Sean Avery in front of the net to everything. You know, Matt Toe scored the goal on him. So it all comes, uh, all comes back. No, I could imagine. And I think the question is, hopefully these two teams, they play in a playoff series pretty soon, which one, how the format is. I think it would be a great series and finally having that battle in New York. I think yeah, it's crazy like with where the, the NHL playoffs have been lined up recently where you, you play in, in your you know your division for the first round um, or on the, if you're the one seed. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, you just haven't, haven't faced them. Obviously, they faced the Devils a couple of times, but they have not. Uh, it'd be great to see the Islanders in the playoffs. I mean, maybe not great now. The Islanders are pretty good, but. It'd be great to get that New York uh, rivalry back and going. No, exactly. Before I let you go, Carl, I want to say this has been a great conversation I've had so far getting to know about the Rangers and yourself. What is your favorite Ranger moment you witnessed? Was it the 94 Cup, something in that 2014 playoff run they had? So many great players on that organization, or Yager, or even a guy like McDonough or Stahl, or even um, which one do you well, think of your first favorite? First off, Rangers? my favorite player of all time is Adam Graves. He's my favorite Ranger of all time, just the way he carried himself on off the ice. Unbelievable player on the ice, probably the nicest guy in the world off the ice, one of the most charitable guys in the world. So he is my favorite player of all time. I mean, for most Ranger fans, you got to look back to the 93, 94 Cup. That's probably the best thing. But, I mean, I was so young then. That's not really, you know, I wasn't there for it. Um, but, I mean, obviously that was a huge moment. I think one of the cooler moments that I've been in person for was the 25th anniversary of the Cup at MSG. When they had the celebration for that, the whole team came out with the Stanley Cup again, which was really cool. They did, you know, a, a big on-ice celebration for that. That was very cool at the Garden. I think the Derek Stepan game seven goal stands out as a huge moment. That was pretty awesome. Uh, that was like edge your seat playoff hockey overtime game seven. You know, your heart's just like oh, racing. Um, and he scores that goal. That was pretty big. That was pretty big. And then obviously them getting to the Stanley cup in 2015, you know, unfortunately falling short there and losing three, three games in overtime. And I think they had to lead every one of those games um, and all four games they lost, they had to lead. So, you know, just those Stanley cup, that Stanley cup run was really incredible. The Martin St. Louis, you know, losing his mother and then scoring the goal. I would have to say that would be my favorite, yeah. my, a favorite moment of mine for the Rangers, just how it all came about. He having a bad time with the tent lightning, go to New York, lose his mom the day before. Yeah. Mother's Scores on, the Mother's day. on Mother's yeah, Day. Yeah. The celebration afterwards was incredible. It gives you, still gives you chills now when you talk about it. And I had the assistant coach on the team, Dan Lacroix, on my show, and I, we, I talked to him about that. And he said that literally, you know, St. Louis came back and the whole team was kind of like in awe that, you know, how strong he was and, and, you know, how he just, you know, persevered through that. And, he basically was like, jump on my back, let's go. And, and that's how he played the rest of the series. He played unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty, you know, yeah, no. when you look back, like, it's been, so I've been really fortunate. You know, I won one cup in my lifetime, but 
Um, you know, they've been really competitive. And even back in the nineties when they weren't good, like I got a chance to watch Wayne Gretzky, you know, play for the Rangers was, you know, I was at his final game, which was incredible. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, I got to see the greatest player of all time play. (laughs) Um, so even then, even though they weren't winning, it, it was, uh, still had unbelievable product, I guess, to see on the ice. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Like I said, it was a great conversation. Your insight on the Rangers talk about the past. It'll be interesting to see in a few in a year or so, or even this year, do they even make the playoffs and squeak Boston out of that final spot? We'll wait and see. But they have a bright future, no doubt about it. They'll be coming around, showing they're one of the top teams the East. Yeah, today. thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. Thank you. Sure. Have a good night. Thank you so much. You take care, Kyle.